Hello, and thank you for joining us again for Journeys of Grace. My name is Pastor Eric Hubbard, and today we're going to continue our series that we talk about grace. And today we're going to talk about victory over shame. Again, grace and victory over shame. And we all know at some, at one point or another, all of us have felt some type of shame for things that we've done. From, again, uh, we talked in our last, last lesson about when we miss the mark. There are some things that we do that just bring a, it seems like a, uh, like a cold wind or a cold, like someone in, on a cold winter day, someone takes a, a, a jacket and dips it in water and puts it on you. That's what shame has felt like to me, to where you, you have great disappointment. Uh, you look and you feel like that, how could I have done what I've done? How could I have said what I said? How could this have happened? And, and when you let people down, when you let yourself down, and all of that shame, all of that, uh, all of that, that feeling of unworthiness, will envelop you, and it will take you. It will take you down if we don't look to the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus died on the cross, and he did it, and took everything. Not only guilt and shame and condemnation, but everything that you can imagine was put on him. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. So again today, we're going to talk about shame. Uh, shame and we're going to focus in on uh, Apostle Peter. And there are other examples of men and women in the scripture and others which I considered. But I think that these things which I, we're going to talk about over these, uh, these three lessons here. We started out with guilt. Now we're going to talk about shame. And these were mighty men. It's, it's, I am so grateful that the Father... And in all of his wisdom, made the Bible so that it bears everything. It strips everything to its to the bare bone, to this nakedness. Just like Christ was put on the on the cross. When we see him in all the pictures and you know, out of modesty's sake, uh, they they cover his midsection so that we don't see all of his nakedness. But the Romans were professionals at torture. And they did not they spared no they spared nothing. When it came to humiliating you and making you feel as though uh, they want you to be shown as less than. That's why they were conquerors in their day. Because not only did they want they wanted to defeat you, but they wanted your armies to know. They wanted your citizens to know. And they wanted their citizens. That whenever a conquering army or army would, would, which would uh, not only dare to come against Rome, but that would rebel against Rome. The Romans would take their leaders and they would parade them through the streets. Many times they would strip them, take all of their, 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 uh, uh, their jewelry, their luscious robes, and all of the finery and, and things that uh, you would think a king or queen would wear, and they would strip them. Some stripped naked. And they would take them through the streets of Rome or whatever capital city they would have, and they would show them, this is the man or this is the woman who had the nerve to rise up against us. So they stripped them and dishonored them. Because they wanted them to feel the shame of being defeated. And that's what Satan wants us to do. Is that he wants us to take, the, take, on, the, uh, uh, the, take on the ability and wants us to take on that, that bill. But the bill of guilt, shame, sin, condemnation, all of that's been paid. The scripture says that for the, uh, for the joy that was set before him, he took 
on the he, he despised the shame. He despised it. He knew I got to go through this. But for that, but for the victory, for me, for you, he says, I'll take the shame. I'll take the guilt. I'll take the sin. And he became sin so that we could be called the righteousness of God in Christ. So today, we're going to start talking about the Apostle Peter again. And we're going to start in the book of Luke, the 22nd chapter, and go around the 22nd verse. And again, we all know about uh, 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 Cephas, whose name was changed to, from, uh, to Paul, I'm sorry, to Peter. And this is the same Peter that uh, when the disciples out on the boat and they were, uh, Jesus had worked mighty miracles and he sent them across the sea and said, okay, uh, I'm going to the mountains to pray. You guys take your night journey, take, uh, roll across the ship and I'll see you when I get there. But Satan had gotten into the wind. The Bible called, uh, I believe it says that he's a, uh, the wind was called Eurocladon. And it blew so hard against them that what should have taken them maybe an hour to cover, they had been, they had been towing all night trying to get across this sea. One good thing is they took Jesus at his word and said, okay, if the master said go and meet him, although the wind is contrary to us, it's blowing against us, we are going to go. So they didn't give up, and yet they were not making any headway to get to the other side. So when Jesus started coming walking across the sea, they were afraid of him. They thought it was a spirit. I imagine we all would have too. If somebody, you're in a boat, and you, you're struggling to, to, to get anywhere, and here comes a man walking on the very thing that's holding you back. But, but Jesus, uh, as Peter saw him out there, he said, Lord, is it, if it's you, bid me to come. And Peter stepped out on the water and began to walk to Christ. Now, we know that he took when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. But what happened? The Lord reached down and pulled him up. The Bible said he began to sink. And I've heard others say, and I'll say this too, I've never seen anybody begin to sink. That tells me his faith began to dissipate. It began to seep out to where he was full of faith, having eyes on Christ. As his mind left him, he began to sink. But you and I know if you throw a, water in, a rock into the water, it will not begin to sink. It will go down. So, <clears throat> excuse me, as, as we read today in uh, Luke 22, we're going to read about this great apostle who may not seem as great as you read uh, uh, Apostle Peter's life in the beginning. But as you go on, we see that he became a mighty man of God. But he, like so many of us, have we we have to we have to go through our trials and triumph. Now, we should never be constantly going through, but we got to get to the other side. And we get to the other side by resting in Christ. Saying, Lord, I'm gonna do all that you've given me to do, but my victory is in you, and my victory in trusting that where I am today. I will not be when this is over. St. Luke 22 and verse number uh, 28. Jesus begins to talk to his disciples. He said, you are all they which are continued with me in my temptation. And this is Jesus, Jesus getting ready. It is uh, just hours before he's going to be arrested. And he's getting ready. He's, he's, he's preparing them for what is soon to come. Again, it's him at the, uh, at, at, at the, at the communion table. He's telling them that 
all my uh, all my crew, most of them have, have, have disapp uh, disappeared, uh, and and they were not there for a reason, because this was the plan that God had established for Christ from the very foundation of the world. And if you read that over in uh, the book of uh, Revelation chapter thirteen. That what the scripture says, from the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. He was slain. That was the plan. And so he didn't need 500 people. He needed his disciples there. He was giving them their final, final instructions because he knew what was coming up. I got to prepare them like God constantly does for us. He prepares us. He gives us word. He lets us hear messages. He uh, uh, prompts us to, to study, uh, prompts us in, 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 to get away and let me speak to you. All these things the Holy Spirit will do to prepare us for what's coming. And so this is what Jesus was doing. Uh, he was preparing them for what they were about to see and letting them know that uh, uh, don't let this be a surprise to you, but this is what's got to happen. Again, chapter 22, verse 22, 28 rather. Ye are they which shall continue with me in my temptations, and I appointed unto you a kingdom, as my Father has appointed unto me. Verse 30, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now this was, uh, I don't know if Peter was named many, many words, many, uh, he, had, he was called Cephas in some places. He, now he's called Simon, but you know, the Lord changed his name to Peter, which means the rock. Um, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brother. Now, when the Lord speaks to you, or speaks to us, and at many times, you know, we, you can be in, in, a, in a message, and you know, your message could last an hour, it could last 15 minutes. God could give you a word of knowledge, whatever it may be. But there is a word that will touch your heart. It will let you know, this is for me. Tune in, ears. Tune in, heart. This is, the Spirit is speaking, expressing to me. And every preached word is a good word. But there are words that God will give us specifically to you about your situation and that we need to have an ear to hear. We need to have that ear, not only just uh, be in the service or uh, read the word, but have a heart and an ear to hear and let that word of God come into your heart and, and, and be resident and meditate on it and see what the Lord will say to you about what you are receiving. And it says in the 30th verse, he says, <clears throat> I'm sorry, in the, in the 31st verse, and the Lord says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, he said, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, and this is Peter talking, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. That's a bold statement. That's a bold statement. And all of us have had people to, I often give you my, my self examples, but uh, I can remember uh, when I was passing over in Alabama and many times, uh, the time people would come to me and, you know, they either join the church or been members of the church and say, Pastor, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you. You can count on me. And it happened so many times, and every time someone would say that, that I sort of, I was sort of taken aback when people would tell me that because I could almost just look and say, okay. Because they would leave. And and I didn't find it necessary. I wasn't trust, uh, questioning their, their loyalty. 
because I don't need your lawyer to me. If you're loyal to God, then you're good with me because I know that those who are with me and, and those appointed to be with me are going to be with me. Those who are, are God, they are joined with you as friends or as uh, uh, um, uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, they are there for you. They're for you when, when things are good. They're there for you when things are bad. But here Peter is, again, one of the, I call him the inner circle. And that inner circle was usually James, John, and Peter. Usually when Jesus separated from his disciples, if he, if he took three, it was going to be James, John, and Peter. And here Peter is, he's speaking up. He said, Lord, I'm ready to go. Both to prison and to death. But again, there are a lot of people that will say, I'm with you. I heard one man say, he said, you know, I'm, uh, most of the time that means I'm with you, win or tie. If we win it, I'm with you. You know, if things sort of even, I'm with you. But if we're losing, I'm out. They won't tell you they're out. But that, that what that mean? I'm with you, Lord, as long as things are good, I'm with you. But Peter was saying, I'm with you. If we go to prison, I'm with you. And if we're going to be taken to die, I'm with you. But what did Jesus say? 31st verse, fourth verse, he says, Peter, the rooster shall crow this day. Shall not crow this day, but you shall three times deny that you know me. See, it's one thing, I, this is just first Eric. It's one thing to lie. It's another thing to deny. You know, because you know, when you deny something, that means you've got to make a statement. I guess lying is the same thing, but to me, uh, uh, denying is to say, I don't know you, I have no association with you, I have no connection with you. Was it, hey, you, you, you see my hat? No, I don't have it. You may have it in the back pocket. You, got, you see that money left over here? No, I ain't got it. But he made a false statement, and he denied. We're going to get down there, but I'm ahead of myself. But Peter, he, Jesus said that you are going to not deny me. And say, thou knowest me, then thou deny that thou knowest me, the 34th verse. 35 says, and he said to them, when I sent you with purse, without purse, script, and shoes, lack anything? They said, Lord, didn't lack anything. 36 says, then he said to them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it. Likewise the script, and let him that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you, that this is written, that this is written must you be accomplished in me. And I was a reckon among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. So in other words, Jesus was preparing them to let them know the end is coming as far as my time on the earth. And when he says, I, and he was reckoned among the transgressors, meaning that he was going to be crucified amongst two thieves. But see, they didn't have, the disciples didn't have uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to refer back to. It wasn't written then. So they were living in the moment and they were hearing what the Savior was saying. They were hearing and not hearing because they were still fleshly driven. That's what Peter was. He wasn't hearing Christ with the, with the, uh, with the ability or, or the, with the understanding or knowledge of the Holy Spirit. He was hearing it through the ears of a fleshly man saying, hey, I'm with you. We call it, I'm a bride or die, Lord, I'm with you. But Jesus was saying, there's coming a separation where I'm going to go one way and you're going to go another. But all of this has been written. Don't let it be a surprise to you. All right? So let's go now down. Let's keep going reading down. Um, let's go now where uh, down to the 34th verse. 
Oh, see, yes, he see, now Peter has denied him. So as we keep going, we keep reading, reading the scriptures here, we're going to go down to 22 and 54, where Jesus told him he was going to deny him. Now let's see what, uh, what happens down here in the 50, same chapter, 22 and 54. Then they took him, they're talking about Jesus, and led him and brought him to the high priest. And Peter followed afar off. Now what's happened so far? Um, they had the Last Supper, went out into the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Jesus has had his time of prayer. Judas leads in the, um, uh, the soldiers. They approach him, and they take him. And Peter rises up again. What does he do? He takes a sword and cuts off the high priest's uh, uh, servant's ear. Still sold all that bravado. You know, some people are, again, they're, they're brave in the moment. They're brave in the moment. See, we don't have, God's not calling for uh, uh, Captain America. He wants people that are dependent on him. He wants people, and he needs us to be God. We need to be God-dependent, spirit-led. That's what Jesus said, the comforter will come. Because if we do everything in and of ourselves, if we are led by our own voice, we're led by our own ways, and you, when we don't allow Christ to, to lead us, to guide us, to show us the way, then we'll always have a crash. See, this is where Peter is headed. Jesus has already told him, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, prison of death, count me in. And just to show how how, how stern and firm he was for him when the um, uh, high priest servant came. Peter struck, cut his ear off. What did Jesus do? Reached down, connected the man's ear back on his head. Now in the 57th verse. I'm sorry, continue 54. And they took him, led him, brought him to the high priest, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the hall, and, and was all set down, while all were together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him sitting by the fire and said, him, said to him, This man also was with him. The preacher said, Nah, not me. Woman, I know him not. 58 verse says, After a little while, another saw him and said, Surely you're one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of an hour, another confidently said, This 59 verse saying, Of a truth, this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not him. And immediately while he spoke, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, it says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the, the rooster crows, You shall deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And if you just stop that scene right there. Here's a man who had given up all his business. He had left his, 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 his shipping business. He had left his partners and had come out following uh, Jesus for three years. He had, Jesus had, had empowered them with the Holy Spirit. They had seen Dead, they had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. They had seen a widow's man. Jesus had stopped the funeral. And a young boy had been arisen. They had seen, uh, Peter had only seen his own mother-in-law, uh, uh, body wracked with fever. Jesus wrote, brought her back from the dead. 
uh, I'm sorry, from, from sickness. They had seen all of these things. They had seen Jesus had put bread in their hand and they had multiplied food for and fed 5,000 plus with two fish and five loaves of bread. And it happened again when they fed 7,000 plus with just a few pieces of bread and fish. All of these things these people had seen. I can imagine all these things going through Peter's mind. And don't even mention him walking on the water. Seeing a demoniac, demons cast out. And all of that shame. And all of that, 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 that guilt about what he had done. Came on him. Just like it do us sometimes. You know, when you miss the mark. When you come to that place. This is where we must find our place of grace. We must find that place. That where we allow Christ to, 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 to come into our hearts, to, to recognize where, where Paul said, it's not I, but it's Christ in me. Jesus is the one we need. Jesus is. He took all the guilt. He took all the shame. I invite you to go, just go and read the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 53. And where uh, Isaiah prophesies prophesied about the uh, the suffering of Christ and all that he went through, all that he suffered, all that he was willing to do for us. That's why I don't believe that God, the scripture said that he would not have any to perish. Any, none. The book of John, uh, third chapter. Let's read that. Just go to John 3, it's 316. It's, and it reads, St. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, many times when we just read this, we talk to think about the, the given part. We don't realize that he gave him as a sacrifice. Meaning, he gave his life, for, he, he, he presented his son as a sacrifice and told him, you've got to go. And when Jesus was in that garden, he suffered, and, 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 and the Bible says that uh, he sweated as though it was drops of blood. His sweat was as drops of blood that came out of him. Him realizing of what he had to do. I don't believe it was a beating. I believe it was a separation from God. The separation from his father, whom he had never been separated from. But now, he's going to have to be separated because of the sin he had to become. He became sin. And he did that so that all of the shame and the guilt of what we may do, will do, have done, he did it for us. He did it for you and he did it for me. This is what our Savior has done. He had with, 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 with heart open, with hands stretched out wide, saying, come unto me all you that labor and are, labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. This is the rest of God that he's talking about. Us giving us all of his, all of our problems. All of our issues. That's what God is asking for. Give me. Let me have. Let me have your problems. Let me have your issues. I can fix it for you. And this is what he did for Peter. He allowed Peter. When he talked to Peter. And you go over to the book of John, uh, the 21st chapter, the 15th verse, after, the, after Jesus had been crucified, 
and rose again, he he told his he told the people when they came to him, he, he rather the angel. I'm sorry, the angel after at the, Jesus had rose again. He said, "Go tell his his disciples that the, that the master had risen." And he said, "And Peter." He made sure that Peter got a direct call from the master. And as you read on, and you go over to the book of John, that's what it is in the book of John. And Jesus began to tell Peter, Peter? He said, yes, no. He, still, he told Peter three times to feed my sheep, feed my lamb, and again, feed my sheep. He was telling him, I've got a job for you. And this is what Jesus is saying to us today. There is a call on your life. I need you. I want you. I love you. God is love. I pray that you receive his love today. Father, as you said in John 3.16, you so love and you would not have that any should perish but have everlasting life. And that 17th verse said, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn us. You know our faults and failures, Lord. You know what we lack. I pray, Lord, that we, that those under the sound of my voice will hear the words that I speak today and will receive your love, receive you as Savior, and walk victoriously and abound over shame, abound over guilt, and abound over condemnation by receiving Christ in us, our hope of glory. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and welcome again to Journeys in Grace. Hello, my name is Pastor Eric Hubbard. And today again, we'll take a, the journey, another trip down the, the, uh, the word road as we study the scriptures today. And we continue on the last two, two, um, two, two messages, the last two lessons we talked about the victories of grace. And the last victory we're going to talk about in grace is grace over condemnation. Grace over condemnation. As we begin to study the scriptures today, we're going to be in the book of John, St. John, the 8th chapter. And we're going to read about how Jesus dealt with sin, how he dealt with uh, accusations, how he dealt with people, and how that he was always among people. He was always among people. And many of the time, the church folks and the people who knew the mechanics of religion, and what I mean by mechanics is they knew how to operate, but they didn't know have the spirit of it. It didn't have the love of and know their comp understand what God was seeking to accomplish uh, as he gave the laws and how his desire was to point the, the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation toward a savior. Letting them know that all of your efforts, even if you think about, and as I said earlier in, in previous messages, how that uh, even the law. And the sacrifices and all of the feasts that the Jews did and had they kept every year uh, ceremoniously, they sacrificed a lamb every year. The priest would go into the Holy of Holies and this priest had to have his garment, garments on and he shed blood on the altar. And this blood was from a lamb and the lamb had to be perfect. Could have no scars, no broken limbs, it could have no diseases. And this perfect lamb was sacrificed yearly for the sins of the entire nation. So this is what God was seeking to show them was that uh, although they sacrificed yearly, it was only from year to year. It was not one sacrifice and all of the sins be cleansed. 
But it had to happen every year, every year. This another lamb had to give his life for the sins of the people. Every year, another lamb gave his life for the sins of the people. And this whole thing was a, 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 a picture showing them of what was to come. Jesus was spoken of by Moses. Moses talked of Shiloh coming. David spoke of Jesus in the book of uh, Psalms, the the 20, Psalms 22, how he spoke about the, 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 the sacrifice of the lamb and how that he would be uh, uh, killed. And if you read on more into Psalms and do a work study on it, you will see how the, uh, uh, the scripture says that uh, he even, uh, Jesus would declare that I was killed in the house of my friend. I was betrayed by those who ate with me. So as we study the scriptures today, we'll see how all of this cost of sin was paid by the blood of our Savior. The Bible says he came through 42 generations. So in other words, God had a plan. He had a plan for man that I'm going to send my son. And for all of the sins of man, for everything that we did, past, present, and future. And you can read this in Hebrews the 8th chapter and again in Hebrews 10. Well, the, the scripture says, uh, and it's recorded, that he said, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. No more will God uh, hold the sins of the father against the children. And for three generations in the Old Testament, it spoke of that the sins of the father could affect not only his children, but another, another generation. And so what God is saying now is that we are all responsible. Every man is responsible. Uh, and, and when I say man, I mean man and woman. All of us are responsible for our own life. We must give an account of the deeds done in this flesh. But we have a Savior. We have a Savior who was willing to lay down as a sacrificial lamb and give his life for all the sins of men. And when Jesus took, laid down on that cross and they drove the nails through his feet and drove the nails through his, his hands, they stabbed him in the side. They put crowns of thorns upon his head. And prior to this, they, they lashed him and stripped the skin off of his back with 39 lashes of a, a, a instrument they called the cat of nine tails. Well, basically, it was a rope with, uh, where it was a whip with many, uh, uh, I would call them tongues on it, but basically it was glass and nails uh, tied together. And as I constantly say, the Romans were professionals in torture. Because they were, they, their, their whole theme was to make you suffer. They wanted to drive you to the point of death and only kill you by having you suffer on the cross. But we know that they did not have the power to take Jesus' life. When Jesus stood before uh, uh, Pilate, the Pilate, and he told, and Pilate said, don't you know I have power to save your life? Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. Because Jesus was life himself. If he chose, he could have stayed there. But he knew in order for us, he had to die. He had to shed his blood. He had to go down to the very depths of hell and take back everything that Adam gave up. So let's read about this man. And this is recorded in the book of Matthew. And you can read this later in your notes in Matthew eleven nineteen. Jesus was ridiculed. For hanging out with publicans and sinners. They called him a wine bibber. In other words, he was a man, they said, that uh, every time you look around, he was, he was with the people eating and drinking. They said that, uh, that he, he loves to fellowship. 
And I don't believe the wine he drunk in their day is, was, was packed full of the alcohol that we have in our day. And yet, they, 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 they criticize him because he was willing to be touched by people. Because the grace and the love of God for all of us is God wants us to have a relationship with him, not a religion. Jesus did not come. He didn't say, I come that you might have religion. He said, I come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Life is about experiencing people, experiencing different things of, of, of getting to know our God and then recognizing all of the promises and all of the things that he has for us. And then receiving that love, having that, having, uh, that God-given love that would not only it would overflow so that the love in you will be shed abroad unto others. And that's why we give the word to you today is that I wish to just, just, just hopefully put in words in my little simple terms and my little simple words to let you know that all of us have the opportunity to walk in the grace of God and in the victory of God. When you walk in grace, you walk in victory. No, it doesn't mean you won't have trials, that you won't have tribulations, but it does mean that whatsoever comes upon you, you have the victory. It doesn't mean that you got to fight for it because Jesus already won it. He won every battle. He won every fight, that everything that will ever come against you. The apostle uh, Peter says he's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So whatever you need, whether it's food, whether it's money, whether it's love, whether it's, he, he's already given you get to you in the package. It's in the package. And this is what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to read today in the uh, book of John, St. John, 8th chapter, and the first verse. And Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So Jesus came early. He came uh, early on, on uh, 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 most likely on the Sabbath. Most of them, and he began to teach them and, and speak to them things that many times when he spoke to them, they would say, what a word that he gave. Many of them said, where did this man get all this learning? He didn't go to uh, Bible school. He didn't go to uh, a seminary. He didn't go to uh, uh, learn at the great, uh, and sit at the feet of all the, all the great uh, uh, Pharisees and teachers of their day. He didn't go. But he was the very word itself. And he was willing. He was willing. That was his mission. This is what drove him, was to share the word of God and the love of God. He wanted to paint a picture of a God that loved, a God that shares, a God that cares. And again, this is why he was called a, 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 uh, a, a wine-bibber wine and someone who, who was known to sit and fellowship with common people. Because he wanted all of us to know we have a God that can be touched with our feelings. If you hurt, he's felt hurt. He's felt weariness. He felt tiredness. Jesus actually walked around in a body. He got tired just like you got tired. He got sleepy just like you got sleepy. Well, you get sleepy. All of the emotions that, that uh, may come on a person, he, they came against him. But yet we know that he walked as a man, but yet without sin. But he was known as someone who cared for people, who mourned for, for, for people. When he saw the, 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 how that man had slipped to a point to where they, 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 they became, as I said earlier, mechanical. 
just doing things out out of a, a root out of a out of a routine. As we all do sometimes, you know how you get used to something, you just automatically know how to do it. You can do it, and without feeling, without uh, taking that special care you you would take to, uh, uh, to you know, I mean, if you can cook, you know, when you're first doing a recipe, you know, you take your time and you read all the instructions. But after a while, when you've done it a few times, you don't even have to think about it. You just do it. But to Jesus, it wasn't a routine. He took the time to allow himself to be touched by people. And, for, and to show them the love of God, which the leaders of his day had forgotten who God was. And they were now more concerned with what you did, the outside man, than rather than who you were, which is the inside man. Let's read on. In the third verse it says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, if you go back to that third verse, they said they caught this woman in adultery. The first thing that's come to your mind is, number one, where is the man? If she was caught in adultery and you really were concerned about upholding all the law, you would have taken the man and the woman. So that lets you know this was a setup. This was a setup from the very beginning because they wanted to make Jesus look bad. They said, okay, we're going to catch him in a point of where he must condemn because the law requires such. And Jesus said, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I come to fulfill it. And he was the only man that could fulfill all 10 commandments and all of the 600 plus uh, ordinances that, that were associated with it. He was the only one. So they came early. Now you would think if they could have, if they caught her, if they caught her early in the morning, seemed like to me, it seemed like they woke her up. And we're going to read more here. Seemed like the man had to be close because they caught her in the very act. So where is the man? And they say in the fifth verse, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what? Say you. In other words, Jesus, what you going to do about it? We know what Moses uh, uh, commanded. And if you read this in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 22nd chapter 24th verse, it says, when a man and woman are called, it says you must bring them both and they would be stoned. That's what the law required as a punishment for adultery for a married woman and man. But yet, somehow, but then with a woman who was caught in adultery, they only captured her, and the man is nowhere to be found. The sixth verse. This they said, tempting him. So the writer John says that they already knew. Again, this was a setup. They were attempting him because, they said, okay, we got him now. Let's see this lover of publicans and sinners. The law says that you got to stone this woman. So I wonder, what is he going to do? Is he going to rebel against the law? Or is he going to kill one of his special uh, sinners, this uh, uh, adulteress? Because we've got the very thing that requires death. We're going to have a rock party today. And I can imagine all of them are ready. They all probably had a, 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 a pile of rocks sitting on the side just waiting. Because it was a setup. Because they knew if this man who said that he was love 
He, he epitomized love. And now you are stoning a woman, although she's guilty. Jesus, we're going to make you look bad. We're going to show the folks what kind of man you are. you just like one of us. But they didn't know that he was the very word indeed. And they were trying to trip up the man who actually sent the very word which they were trying to trip him up with. So if we continue on in the sixth verse, let's read it again. They said, they, this they said, tempting him that they may have to accuse him. So in other words, they would have something to say, oh, see, we told you, he's just the same as all the rest. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. See, that's many a times, that's just a lesson in that. Whenever you are faced with a hard question or a hard time, give yourself some, some time to hear God. Don't answer everything immediately. Just give it some time. Roll it around. You know, ask the Lord. Say, Lord, what should I say? What, should, what, what is it you would have me to say? Because the law said, stone her. But Jesus knew why he came and he knew his mission. He knew what he would do. But the scripture says he just knelt down and began to write on the ground. So when they continue to ask him, so they continue to say, okay, Lord, you ain't saying nothing. Uh-huh. Why ain't you talking now? We got one of your sinners. What are you going to do? Master. And it says he lifted up. No, no, he lifted up himself. He stood up and said unto them, he that without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And it says in the eighth verse, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. See, that's what wisdom will do. Wisdom will give you what to say, when to say, and what to do. Jesus didn't preach a, a, a sermon to him. He just said these words which were impactful words. He said, okay, since you want to stone someone, First one, the perfect one out here. Yeah, Mr. Perfect. Well, whoever you are, you, you get the first stone so we, so we know, so we can pick you out. We want you to throw the first stone, take your shot. And then he knelt down. And it says in the eighth verse, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. In the ninth verse, it says, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. So in other words, they know. Okay, if I pick this rock up and, 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 and throw it first, I'm saying I'm without sin. All of them knew they were guilty of something. Some of them probably laid with her because they, they managed to find her and somehow missed the man. And every, I've heard many around it, and I am too. I wonder what Jesus wrote on the ground. And they which heard, heard it, being convicted by their own countries, went out one by one, people begin to turn around and walk away because they realize, okay, I can't, I can't do it because I can't say I'm without sin. I can't say that I am above sin. So they walked out one by one. It says beginning at the eldest. See, we all know we got a history. You live long enough on the earth, you learn some things. 
And if you learn anything, you'll know, don't open your mouth. <laughs> you better be careful how you answer people. Because many times when, you, 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 when you're zealous and you're unlearned and you really don't know, you know, you have a zeal to do, but no knowledge. That's a dangerous thing to be when you're, you're zealous at whatever you are doing, but you're unskilled at it. Many errors and many, many uh, uh, wrong things happen when zealous people get out. We all need to be zealous for the Lord, but we also need to be, have the wisdom. That's what the scripture says. I call the old because they know the way and the young because they are strong. We all need to hook up and yoke up with people with wisdom about whatever you're trying to do. If you're a musician, you need to get with someone who, who has played for a while and can show you the ropes. When you're a business owner, find a mentor who's doing what you've done, doing what you're trying to do and can help you to avoid some of the pitfalls. If you're a young woman, a young wife, a just married wife, find someone, a seasoned lady, a seasoned sister. Say, you know, uh, tell me, you've been married for 20 years or 25, 30, whatever the case may be. Tell me, I'm talking about someone with wisdom and with knowledge. How did you do this? Tell me, what to, tell me how did y'all uh, make it this thus far? And a wise woman, the first thing out of their mouth would be, by the grace of God which is his unmerited favor, which he put upon my life and empowered my husband and I, or uh, my wife and I, whatever the case may be, to get to this point in life and recognize it's not about me, it's not about her, but it's all about him. Everything in life works out better when you're willing to live a sacrificing life as our Savior did, as he sacrificed himself for us. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not do it to them before they do it to you. As Fred Sanford used to say, but do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So in other words, whatever favor, and, and if you was in this position, what good thing would you, would you want someone to do for you if you found yourself in this predicament or in this situation? That's love. That's, that's concern, concern. That's empathy. Saying, you know, I've been in your position before. Let me tell you what I would do. And reading that ninth verse again, it says, And they which had heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. See, she was ready. She knew her. She, in her heart, she knew this over for me. Whatever had drove her, whatever had caused her to do what she did, she knew the law said that if you're caught, you die because you broke the law of Moses. One of the big ten, she broke it because she had committed adultery. And the, and the penalty for adultery is, it was, was, is stoning. But the tenth verse says, when Jesus had lifted himself up, lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? You know, an accuser is someone who places blame. So in other words, they have placed the blame of adultery solely on her. That's their first wrong act among uh, uh, the multitude of which they committed by trying to set Jesus up. But they were placing the blame for adultery on singly on this woman 
And you know there had to be another person involved. But Jesus said, where are your accusers? Where are your blamers? And this is what we do sometimes. We accept the blame and we take all the blame. But Jesus took all of that. He didn't take it for us to go out and sin again, but he took it for all these things on us and said, you know what? I have come to set you free. That's what he meant when he said in John 10, I have come that you might have life and it more abundantly. He's saying, I've come to set you free from every bondage, from every addiction, from every habit. I've come to set you free. When you're saved, I come to set you free so you can receive eternal life. And when you are uh, um, uh, when you're unsaved, now he's saying, I'm come to set you free and give you eternal life. But after you are saved, see, many times when a person gets saved, we feel like, oh, you're supposed to be perfect now. Oh, now you're in a battle. But you're a winner now. Once you receive Christ into your life and receive his love and, and partake of what God is giving out. He, if you read the book of, uh, of uh, Galatians, fifth chapter, he talks about the Galatians 22. I talk about in the spirit, we're given us love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, meekness, faith, and on and on. But the first offspring of love is joy. He said, I'll give you joy in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of any and everything that may come against you. He said, I'll give you joy for the scripture said the joy of the Lord is our strength. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll help you to overcome this. But this woman standing there, having been caught in adultery, waiting for death to, and, and then she knows there's going to be eternal punishment. She's just standing there, stunned. I would imagine some of those men had rocks in their hand, and she could probably hear them dropping them. Every one of them, the Bible said they went out one. I don't imagine some of them had the rocks in their pockets. Just waiting. So, oh, I'm going to get her. I'm going to show him. I'm going to put this on his record. And we'll see what, how many in the crowd now. We had 5,000 next time. He won't have 50. But they dropped it. One by one. You could hear the rocks hit the ground. Because they did not get what they wanted to get. They wanted to murder. They wanted, to, they wanted some, see someone die. But Jesus says, I want to see someone live. And then he goes on to say, Woman, where are thy accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And see, when someone condemns you, they, it, 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 condemnation means to judge or pronounce to be unfit for use. So whenever some, you, you feel condemnation, and most of the time that's what we put on ourselves, we say to ourselves, I messed up. I missed the mark. And we allow condemnation to come into us and bind us because when you accept condemnation, then that weakens your faith. And I heard one minister preacher say, he said, faith contaminated, you know, no, no, when you allow that faith, that your faith to be contaminated, then it becomes useless. It becomes uh, 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 stagnant. It's watered down. But you got you cannot allow your faith to be contaminated by blame, by shame, by guilt, guilt, nor condemnation. And most of the time, we condemn ourselves. We, we consider ourselves, oh, I'm so unfit. I'm talking about after we're saved. And don't even mention before, most people feel like I gotta get ready. Oh, I'll, I'll come. But when I, I, I stop this habit, 
I'll come. When I, when I, when I, when I get rid of this man, I'll, I'll, I'll come there, baby, bro. I'll come there, but I got to get some things together. No. Jesus says, come unto me. All that you are laden and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If you are heavy and weighed down with addiction, if you are heavy and weighed down with problems and issues, if you are heavy, if you could be in prison today, Jesus will come into your cell and set you free. And you will be freer than the man that's walking out, walking out, and walking around the, the, the prison gate. And people are going back and forth to work in homes and all these other things, bound in their mind because they don't know Christ. But when you are free in your mind, you are freer than the multitude millions that's carrying all that baggage of the yesterday. But when the, who the sun set free, you are free indeed. He's able to free you and let you go to a life of eternity. And eternal life that means after. The eternal life is now. When you discover Jesus, you begin to live eternally. That's why Jesus told him to pray, uh, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to be bringing heaven down to earth. Enjoying heaven now. Not later. Not in the sweet by and by. But we are to live in victory and show the world, this is how you enjoy life. You ain't got to be high on meth. You ain't got to be high on, on, on weed or whatever the case may be. But you can be free now and higher on the love of God than any drug or any alcohol or anything or any uh, uh, illicit activity can take you. Whom the sun set free is free indeed. But Jesus said again, Where art thou accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she looked around and she said, no man, Lord. They could not open their mouth because they too were laden with sin. But what did Jesus say to her? He said, I don't call. He said, neither do I condemn you. In other words, he said, I'm not going to say you're unfit for use. But he, but he freed her. He said, go. He loosed her and sinned no more. His very word set her free. He's saying to her, I, I know what you did because you are guilty. But I have the power to loose you from your past and set you free on a path to life. Everybody ought to want to live. I'm not just talking about breathing in and out of oxygen. That's not just, that's existing. But when you have the sun in your heart, See, when you have life, you can give life. Then you can pray and say, brother, uh, can I pray with you? You know somebody don't like you, they got all, you, you know you, you had things that, that, you know, you didn't get along and you hadn't seen this person in a long time. Say, hey man, you know, I can, can I pray for you? Can I pray with you for something? Is there anything you need? Can, how can I bless you? God can restore relationships. He can restore marriage. He can restore friendship. He can restore brotherhood. He can connect sons and daughters. He can connect uh, 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 mothers and fathers, fathers and sons. Jesus has that ability when we allow him and allow the love that he's given us to flow from heart to heart. This love 
Jesus has provided for us. I'm going to read this last verse, in the 12th verse. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Lord wants to give you, he wants to put a light in you, a fire in you, that'll never go out. We didn't exist because of emotions. It exists because you have the sun now living inside of you. You have then the love of God that when you allow, when you accept Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior, he will ignite that some love in you that the world will see. And they'll wonder what happened to you without you saying a word. They'll see there's been a great change in your life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this hour. We pray, Lord, that these words, O oh God, have not fell on death ears. We just pray today. Jesus said, when you hear my heart word, he said, harden not your heart. He said, when you hear my voice, harden not your heart. As they did in the day of perdition when they rejected you in the wilderness. But today, Lord, we say within ourselves and we pray this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we receive your son. We believe that he can't live and die. He died on the third day. He died on the third day. He rose again. And he died for my sin. Today, I receive the salvation which Jesus provided for me. And I give my life to you. And I receive. And I yield to you. And I receive your love. And now, Lord, I receive you as Lord and as Savior. And now I am a part of the family of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen. I pray you receive this word today. And thank you for being with us again on Journeys in Grace. Thank you and welcome again to Journeys in Grace. Hello, my name is Pastor Eric Hubbard. And today again, we'll take a, the journey, another trip down the, the, uh, the word road as we study the scriptures today. And we continue on the last two, two, um, two, two messages, the last two lessons we talked about, the victories of grace. And the last victory we're going to talk about in grace is grace over condemnation. Grace over condemnation. And as we begin to study the scriptures today, we're going to be in the book of John, St. John, the 8th chapter. And we're going to read about how Jesus dealt with sin, how he dealt with uh, accusations, how he dealt with people, and how that he was always among people. He was always among people. And many of the time, the church folks and the people who knew the mechanics of religion. And what I mean by mechanics is they knew how to operate, but they didn't know have the spirit of it. It didn't have the love of and nor their comp understand what God was seeking to accomplish. Uh, as he gave the laws and how his desire was to point the, the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation, toward a Savior. Letting them know that all of your efforts, even if you think about, and as I said earlier in, in previous messages, how that uh, even the law and the sacrifices and all of the feasts that the Jews did, and had they kept every year uh, ceremon ceremoniously, 
they sacrificed a lamb every year. The priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and this priest had to have his garment, garments on, and he shed blood on the altar. And this blood was from a lamb, and the lamb had to be perfect. could have no scars, no broken limbs. It could have no diseases. And this perfect lamb was sacrificed yearly for the sins of the entire nation. So this is what God was seeking to show them was that uh, although they sacrificed yearly, it was only from year to year. It was not one sacrifice and all of the sins be cleansed, but it had to happen every year, every year. This another lamb had to give his life for the sins of the people. Every year, another lamb gave his life for the sins of the people. And this whole thing was a, 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 a picture showing them of what was to come. Jesus was spoken of by Moses. Moses talked of Shiloh coming. David spoke of Jesus in the book of uh, Psalms, the 22nd, the 20, Psalms 22, how he spoke about the, 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 the sacrifice of the lamb and how that he would be uh, uh, killed. And if you read on more into Psalms and do a word study on it, you will see how the, uh, uh, the scripture says that uh, he even, uh, Jesus would declare that I was killed in the house of my friend. I was betrayed by those who ate with me. So as we study the scriptures today, we'll see how all of this cost of sin was paid by the blood of our Savior. The Bible says he came through 42 generations. So in other words, God had a plan. He had a plan for man that I'm going to send my son and for all of the sins of man. For all, everything that we did, past, present, and future. And you can read this in Hebrews the 8th chapter and again in Hebrews 10. Where the, the scripture says, uh, and it's recorded, that he said, Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. No more will God uh, hold the sins of the father against the children. And for three generations in the Old Testament it spoke of that the sins of the father could affect not only his children but another, another generation. And so what God is saying now is that we are all responsible. Every man is responsible. Uh, and, and when I say man, I mean man and woman. All of us are responsible for our own life. We must give an account of the deeds done in this flesh. But we have a Savior. We have a Savior who was willing to lay down as a sacrificial lamb and give his life for all the sins of men. And when Jesus took, laid down on that cross and they drove the nails through his feet and drove the nails through his, his hands, they stabbed him in the side. They put crowns of thorns upon his head. And prior to this, they, they lashed him and stripped the skin off of his back with 39 lashes of an a, a instrument they called the cat of nine tails. Well, basically, it was a rope with, uh, where it was a whip with many uh, uh I would call them tongues on it, but basically it was glass and nails uh, tied together. And as I constantly say, the Romans were professionals in torture. Because they were they, their, their whole theme was to make you suffer. They wanted to drive you to the point of death and only kill you by having you suffer on the cross. But we know that they did not have the power to take Jesus' life. When Jesus stood before uh uh, Pilate, the Pilate, and he told, and Pilate said, don't you know I have power to save your life? Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down, because Jesus was life himself. If he chose, he could have stayed there, but he knew in order for us 
He had to die. He had to shed his blood. He had to go down to the very depths of hell and take back everything that Adam gave up. So let's read about this man. And this is recorded in the book of Matthew. And you can read this later in your notes in Matthew eleven nineteen. Jesus was ridiculed for hanging out with publicans and sinners. They called him a wine bibber. In other words, he was a man, they said, that uh, every time you look around, he was, he was with the people eating and drinking. They said that, uh, that he, he loves to fellowship. And I don't believe the wine he drunk in their day is, was, was packed full of the alcohol that we have in our day. And yet, they, 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 they criticized him because he was willing to be touched by people. Because the grace and the love of God for all of us is God wants us to have a relationship with him, not a religion. Jesus did not come. He didn't say, I come that you might have religion. He said, I come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Life is about experiencing people, experiencing different things of, of, of getting to know our God and then recognizing all of the promises and all of the things that he has for us. And then receiving that love, having that having uh, that God-given love that would not only it would overflow so that the love in you will be shed abroad unto others. And that's why we give the word to you today is that I wish to just 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 hopefully put in words in my little simple terms and my little simple words to let you know that all of us have the opportunity to walk in the grace of God and in the victory of God. When you walk in grace. You walk in victory. No, it doesn't mean you won't have trials, that you won't have tribulations, but it does mean that whatsoever comes upon you, you have the victory. It doesn't mean that you got to fight for it because Jesus already won it. He won every battle. He won every fight, that everything that will ever come against you. The apostle uh, Peter says he's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So whatever you need, whether it's food, whether it's money, whether it's love, whether he, he's already given you get to you in the package. It's in the package. And this is what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to read today in the uh, book of John, St. John, 8th chapter, and the first verse. And Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So Jesus came early. He came uh, early on, on uh, 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 most likely on the Sabbath. Most of them, and he began to teach them and, and speak to them things that many times when he spoke to them, they would say, what a word that he gave. Many of them said, where did this man get all this learning? He didn't go to uh, Bible school. He didn't go to uh, a seminary. He didn't go to uh, uh, learn at the great, uh, and sit at the feet of all the, all the great uh, uh, Pharisees and teachers of their day. He didn't go. But he was the very word itself. And he was willing. He was willing. That was his mission. This is what drove him was to share the word of God and the love of God. He wanted to paint a picture of a God that loved, a God that shares, a God that cares. And again, this is why he was called a a a uh, a, a wine bibber, wine bibber, and someone who who was known to sit and fellowship with common people because he wanted all of us to know we have a God that can be touched with our feelings. If you hurt, he's felt hurt. He's felt weariness. He felt tiredness. Jesus actually walked around in a body. He got tired just like you got tired. He got sleepy just like you got sleepy. Well, you get sleepy. 
all of the emotions that that uh, may come on a person, he they came against him. But yet we know that he walked as a man, but yet without sin. But he was known as someone who cared for people, who mourned for, for, for people. When he saw the, the, the how that man had slipped to a point to where they, 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 they became, as I said earlier, mechanical. Just doing things out, out, of, a, a root, out, of, a, out of a routine. As we all do sometimes, you know how you get used to something, you just automatically know how to do it. You can do it and without feeling, without uh, taking that special care you, you would take to, uh, uh, to, you know, if you can cook, you know, when you're first doing a recipe, you know, you take your time and you read all the instructions. But after a while, when you've done it a few times, you don't even have to think about it. You just do it. But to Jesus, it wasn't a routine. He took the time to allow himself to be touched by people. And, for, and to show them the love of God, which the leaders of his day had forgotten who God was. And they were now more concerned with what you did, the outside man, than rather than who you were, which is the inside man. Let's read on. In the third verse it says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, if you go back to that third verse, they said they caught this woman in adultery. The first thing that's come to your mind is, number one, where is the man? If she was caught in adultery and you really were concerned about upholding all the law, you would have taken the man and the woman. So that lets you know this was a setup. This was a setup from the very beginning because they wanted to make Jesus look bad. They said, okay, we're going to catch him in a point of where he must condemn because the law requires such. And Jesus says, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I come to fulfill it. And he was the only man that could fulfill all 10 commandments and all of the 600 plus uh, ordinances that, that were associated with it. He was the only one. So they came early. Now you would think if they could have, if they caught her, if they caught her early in the morning, seemed like to me, it seemed like they woke her up. And we're going to read more here. Seemed like the man had to be close because they caught her in the very act. So where is the man? And they say in the fifth verse, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what? Say you. In other words, Jesus, what you going to do about it? We know what Moses uh, uh, commanded. And if you read this in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 22nd chapter 24th verse, it says, when a man and woman are called, it says you must bring them both and they would be stoned. That's what the law required as a punishment for adultery for a married woman and man. But yet, somehow, but then with a woman who was caught in adultery, they only captured her, and the man is nowhere to be found. The sixth verse. This they said, tempting him. So the writer John says that they already knew. Again, this was a setup. They were attempting him because, they said, okay, we got him now. Let's see this lover of publicans and sinners. 
the law says that you got to stone this woman. So I wonder, what is he going to do? Is he going to rebel against the law? Or is he going to kill one of his special uh, sinners, this uh, uh, adulteress? Because we've got the very thing that requires death. We're going to have a rock party today. And I can imagine all of them are ready. They all probably had a, 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 a pile of rocks sitting on the side just waiting. Because it was a setup. Because they knew if this man who said that he was love, he, he epitomized love, and now you are stoning a woman, although she's guilty. Jesus, we're going to make you look bad. We're going to show the folks what kind of man you are. you just like one of us. But they didn't know that he was the very word indeed. And they were trying to trip up the man who actually sent the very word which they were trying to trip him up with. So if we continue on in the sixth verse, let's read it again. They said, they, this they said, tempting him that they may have to accuse him. So in other words, they would have something to say, see, we told you, he's just the same as all the rest. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. See, that's many a times, that's just a lesson in that. Whenever you are faced with a hard question or a hard time, give yourself some, some time to hear God. Don't answer everything immediately. Just give it some time. Roll it around. You know, ask the Lord. Say, Lord, what should I say? What, should, what, what is it you would have me to say? Because the law said, stone her. But Jesus knew why he came and he knew his mission. He knew what he would do. But the scripture says he just knelt down and began to write on the ground. So when they continue to ask him, so they continue to say, okay, Lord, you ain't saying nothing. Uh-huh. Why ain't you talking now? We got one of your sinners. What are you going to do? Master. And it says he lifted up. No, no, he lifted up himself. He stood up and said unto them, he that without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And it says in the eighth verse, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. See, that's what wisdom will do. Wisdom will give you what to say, when to say, and what to do. Jesus didn't preach a, a, a sermon to him. He just said these words, which were impactful words. He said, okay, since you want to stone someone, first one, that, the perfect one out here. Yeah, Mr. Perfect, well, whoever you are, you, you get the first stone so we, so we know, so we can pick you out. We want you to throw the first stone, take your shot. And then he knelt down. And it said in the eighth verse, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. In the ninth verse it says, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. So in other words, they know, okay, if I pick this rock up and, 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 and throw it first, I'm saying I'm without sin. All of them knew they were guilty of something. Some of them probably laid with her because they, they managed to find her and somehow missed the man. And every, I've heard many around it, and I am too. I wonder what Jesus wrote on the ground. And they which heard, heard it, being convicted by their own countries, went out 
one by one. People begin to turn around and walk away because they realize, okay, I can't, I can't do it. Because I can't say I'm without sin. I can't say that I am above sin. So they walked out one by one. It says beginning at the eldest. See, we all know we got a history. You live long enough on the earth, you learn some things. And if you learn anything, you'll know. Don't open your mouth. <laughs> you better be careful how you answer people. Because many times when you're, 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 when you're zealous and you're unlearned and you really don't know, you know, you have a zeal to do, but no knowledge. That's a dangerous thing to be. When you're, you're zealous at whatever you are doing, but you're unskilled at it. Many errors and many, many uh, uh, wrong things happen when zealous people get out. We all need to be zealous for the Lord, but we also need to be, have the wisdom. That's what the scripture says, I call the old because they know the way, and the young because they are strong. We all need to hook up and yoke up with people with wisdom about whatever you're trying to do. If you're a musician, you need to get with someone who, who has played for a while and can show you the ropes. When you're a business owner, find a mentor who's doing what you've done, doing what you're trying to do, and can help you to avoid some of the pitfalls. If you're a young woman, a young wife, a just married wife, find someone, a seasoned lady, a seasoned sister. Say, you know, uh, tell me, you've been married for 20 years or 25, 30, whatever the case may be. Tell me, I'm talking about someone with wisdom and with knowledge. How did you do this? Tell me, what to, tell me how did y'all uh, make it this thus far? And a wise woman, the first thing out of their mouth would be, by the grace of God which is his unmerited favor, which he put upon my life and empowered my husband and I, or uh, my wife and I, whatever the case may be, to get to this point in life and recognize it's not about me, it's not about her, but it's all about him. Everything in life works out better when you're willing to live a sacrificing life as our Savior did, as he sacrificed himself for us. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not do it to them before they do it to you. As Fred Sample used to say, but do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So in other words, whatever favor, and, and if you was in this position, what good thing would you, would you want someone to do for you if you found yourself in this predicament or in this situation? That's love. That's, that's concern, concern. That's empathy. Saying, you know, I've been in your position before. Let me show you what I would do. And reading that ninth verse again, it says, And they which had heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. See, she was ready. She knew her. She, in her heart, she knew this over for me. Whatever had drove her, whatever had caused her to do what she did, she knew the law said that if you're caught, you die because you broke the law of Moses. One of the big ten, she broke it because she had committed adultery. And the, and the penalty for adultery is, it was, was, is stoning. But the tenth verse says, when Jesus had lifted himself up, lifted up himself, 
and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? You know, an accuser is someone who places blame. So in other words, they have placed the blame of adultery solely on her. That's their first wrong act among uh, uh, the multitude of which they committed by trying to set Jesus up. But they were placing the blame for adultery on singly on this woman. And you know there had to be another person involved. But Jesus said, where are your accusers? Where are your blamers? And this is what we do sometimes. We accept the blame and we take all the blame. But Jesus took all of that. He didn't take it for us to go out and sin again, but he took it for all these things on us and said, you know what? I have come to set you free. That's what he meant when he said in John 10, I have come that you might have life and it more abundantly. He's saying, I've come to set you free from every bondage, from every addiction, from every habit. I've come to set you free. When you're saved, I come to set you free so you can receive eternal life. And when you are uh, um, uh, when you're unsaved, now he's saying, I'm come to set you free and give you eternal life. But after you are saved, see, many times when a person gets saved, we feel like, oh, you're supposed to be perfect now. Oh, now you're in a battle. But you're a winner now. Once you receive Christ into your life and receive his love and, and partake of what God is giving out. He, if you read the book of, uh, of uh, Galatians, fifth chapter, he talks about the Galatians 22. I talk about in the spirit, we're given us love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, meekness, faith, and on and on. But the first offspring of love is joy. He said, I'll give you joy in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of any and everything that may come against you. He said, I'll give you joy for the scripture said the joy of the Lord is our strength. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll help you to overcome this. But this woman standing there, having been caught in adultery, waiting for death to, and, and then she knows there's going to be eternal punishment. She's just standing there, stunned. I would imagine some of those men had rocks in their hand, and she could probably hear them dropping them. Every one of them, the Bible said they went out one. I don't imagine some of them had the rocks in their pockets. Just waiting. So, oh, I'm going to get her. I'm going to show him. I'm going to put this on his record. And we'll see what, why, how many in the crowd now. We had 5,000 next time. He won't have 50. But they dropped it. One by one. You can hear the rocks hit the ground. Because they did not get what they wanted to get. They wanted to mur- They wanted, to, they wanted some, see someone die. But Jesus says, I want to see someone live. And then he goes on to say, Woman, where are thy accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And see, when someone condemns you, they, it, 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 condemnation means to judge or pronounce to be unfit for use. So whenever some, you, you feel condemnation, and most of the time that's what we put on ourselves, we say to ourselves, I messed up. I missed the mark. And we allow condemnation to come into us and bind us because when you accept condemnation, then that weakens your faith. And I heard one minister preacher say, he said, faith contaminated, you know, no, no, when you allow that faith, that your faith to be contaminated, then it becomes useless 
It becomes uh, uh, a stagnant. It's watered down. But you got you cannot allow your faith to be contaminated by blame, by shame, by guilt, guilt, nor condemnation. And most of the time, we condemn ourselves. We, we consider ourselves, oh, I'm so unfit. I'm talking about after we're saved. And don't even mention before, most people feel like, i got to get ready. Oh, I'll, I'll come. But when I, I, I stop this habit, I'll come. When I, when, I, when, I, when I get rid of this man, I'll, I'll, I'll come, man, baby, bro. I'll come, man, but i got to get some things together. No. Jesus says, come unto me. All that you are laden and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If you are heavy and weighed down with addiction, if you are heavy and weighed down with problems and issues, if you are heavy, if you could be in prison today, Jesus will come into your cell and set you free. And you will be freer than the man that's walking out, walking out, and walking around the, the, the prison gate. And people are going back and forth to work in homes and all these other things, bound in their mind because they don't know Christ. But when you are free in your mind, you are freer than the multitude, millions, that's carrying all that baggage of the yesterday. But when the, who the sun set free, you are free indeed. He's able to free you and let you go to a life of eternity. And eternal life, that means after. The eternal life is now. When you discover Jesus, you begin to live eternally. That's why Jesus told him to pray, uh, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to be bringing heaven down to earth. Enjoying heaven now. Not later. Not in the sweet by and by. But we are to live in victory and show the world, this is how you enjoy life. You ain't got to be high on meth. You ain't got to be high on, on, on weed or whatever the case may be. But you can be free now and higher on the love of God than any drug or any alcohol or anything or any uh, uh, illicit activity can take you. Whom the sun set free is free indeed. But Jesus said again, Where art thou accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she looked around and she said, no man, Lord. They could not open their mouth because they too were laden with sin. But what did Jesus say to her? He said, I don't call. He said, neither do I condemn you. In other words, he said, I'm not going to say you're unfit for use. But he, but he freed her. He said, go. He loosed her and sinned no more. His very word set her free. He's saying her, I, I know what you did because you are guilty. But I have the power to loose you from your past and set you free on a path to life. Everybody ought to want to live. I'm not just talking about breathing in and out of oxygen. That's not just, that's existing. But when you have the sun in your heart, See, when you have life, you can give life. Then you can pray and say, brother, uh, I cannot pray with you. You know somebody don't like you. They got all, you, you know you, you had things that, that you know you didn't get along and you hadn't seen this person in a long time. Say, hey, man, you know, I can, can I pray for you? Can I pray with you for something? 
Is there anything you need? Can, how can I bless you? God can restore relationships. He can restore marriage. He can restore friendship. He can restore brotherhood. He can connect sons and daughters. He can connect uh, 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 mothers and fathers. Fathers and sons. Jesus has that ability when we allow him and allow the love that he's given us to flow from heart to heart. This love Jesus has provided for us. I'm going to read this last verse, in the 12th verse. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Lord wants to give you, he wants to put a light in you, a fire in you, that'll never go out. We didn't exist because of emotions. It exists because you have the sun now living inside of you. You have then the love of God that when you allow, when you accept Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior, he will ignite that some love in you that the world will see. And they'll wonder what happened to you. Without you saying a word, they'll see there's been a great change in your life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this hour. We pray, Lord, that these words, O oh God, have not fell on death ears. We just pray today. Jesus said, when you hear my heart word, he said, harden not your heart. He said, when you hear my voice, harden not your heart. As they did in the day of perdition when they rejected you in the wilderness. But today, Lord, we say within ourselves and we pray this prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus, we receive your son. We believe that he can't live and die. He died on the third day. He died on the third day. He rose again. And he died for my sin. Today, I receive the salvation which Jesus provided for me. And I give my life to you. And I receive. And I yield to you. And I receive your love. And now, Lord, I receive you as Lord and as Savior. And now I am a part of the family of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen. I pray you receive this word today. And thank you for being with us again on Journeys in Grace.